cinephile. The Academy Award for Best Picture. You're a fuck. Come on. La La Land. We lost, by the way, but, you know. I'm sorry. No. There's There's a mistake. Wait, wait, Moonlight's one best picture. Moonlight won Best Picture. Whoa, we have a little... Oh, my goodness. This is incredible. Moonlight won Best Picture. drama here at the Academy Awards. This is like Steve Harvey. Remember that? This is not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong thing. This is not a joke. Moonlight has won Best Picture. We said earlier tonight, Ben, we were going to see a shocker. This is the shocker. Moonlight won Best Picture. Cinephile, the Adnan Verk movie podcast. It's not that people are envious of me, because clearly I'm nothing to phone home about. But my life is something I'm sure people are envious of. People love sports. They love movies. Who's this clown that gets to do both? And today, on episode 25 of Cinephile, I am the envy of everybody I know. Because I get to meet and interview Jessica Alba. So, there's a lot going through my mind, you know, because there's there's just a lot at stake here. Because people are going to want to know a story. Hey, how pretty is she? What was she like? Did did, did she flirt with you? Did you flirt with her? Did you say some stupid comments? So, you're going to get all those questions answered momentarily. Thanks for listening to the previous podcast. Hank Azaria was tremendous. Brock Meyer, Wednesday, April 5th on IFC. As Danny and I mentioned in the last podcast, we completely missed the opportunity to ask him about Michael Caine. But then, Dan, we had salvation. We did. He came back. He was doing another interview in this room. <laughs> and so, of course, we had to say, we missed our chance. Do you do a Michael Caine? And before you could even ask the question, he was mid-Michael Caine impersonation. It was tremendous. It was literally, do you do a Michael? And he just, Michael Caine. And he even, like, raised his eyebrow. Like, he just, he became Michael Caine. He was unreal. And then I did my Michael Caine impression to him and said that it was based on the late, great Phil Hartman, another great mimic like Hank Azaria. And then Azaria said, yeah, he goes, I don't know, Phil, that's an original. Because I swear Rich Little did that. Which I told someone else this story. They go, who's Rich Little? Rich Little was the great impressionist. Like, back in the 80s, he was on Carson. He would do Every voice. So uh, Hank Azaria, Phil Hartman, Rich Little. There's three of your four Mount Rushmore, the great voice actors and mimics of all time. But Hank was phenomenal. So was Ken Jeong, who is now the most famous person following me on Twitter. Apologies to Will Arnett. Ken's got a million followers. And I felt bad. You know, it's my fault. I should have been a little – normally I'm pretty good with research. Brockmar, I watched every episode. Dr. Ken, I had not seen an episode, so I watched the season finale, which actually aired this past Friday. And I will will continue to watch it because Ken was such a nice guy and genuine. And I'm not a huge sitcom guy. It's not really to my taste, but he is funny. And having interviewed him, the the show was great because the episode was about Dr. Ken wanting to become an actor and his wife's support of him and doing it late in life. I'm like, all right, this is very autobiographical. Clearly what he was telling us is true. He does use the work from his past. So thanks once again to Ken and Hank. And please go to iTunes, post a review. I post my movies in four Maple Leafs, but those are in five stars and put a comment as well. All right, Jessica Alba, initial thought, Dan, when she walked in, what did you think? Who are all these people with her? Why am I not in the room that she's walking into? Uh, great job by Adnan disarming the situation by bringing your wife to make you look like you weren't a creepy, horny guy. There is no question that um, I, I'm not smart enough to do that. But what I just mentioned to my wife, Jessica Alves, coming, she goes, oh, my God, I'd love to meet her. And right away, I'm like, yes, perfect idea. Because even before, and this is absolutely true, the 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 – the baby wash that we use on Shaz De Niro is the Honest Baby Wash. So uh, Jessica was so nice. Her and her team sent a box of goodies. And I open up and I go, oh, that's what I see every morning because I actually use that. So when she walked in, I was able to be genuine and say, no, I do use your products with our kids. And as Dan mentioned, then my wife started talking to her. 
error on Eamon, at least three minutes of preamble. I mean, it, she walked in 1141. It was getting a little lengthy. Now, in fairness, Jessica's dad was here. There's a few other handlers. Yeah, she was disarming, too. She was like, I don't want any creepy guys talking to me to ESPN. Yes. I'm bringing my dad. Correct. And you were like, I'm bringing my wife. <laughs> I'll one-up you. So no issues at all, but we had a wonderful conversation, talked about diapers, her company, Sin City, Killer Inside Me, Love Guru with Mike Myers, Little Fockers, What's It Like Working with De Niro, Jessica Alba, right now. You're listening to Cinephile, the Adnan Verk movie podcast. Normally, I'm the envy of everybody, and now particularly today, because the great and lovely and talented Jessica Alba is here with us in studio. Thanks so much for coming by. Thanks for having me. So your company is blowing up right now. My wife even came in just to thank you, because we have three boys, and we've been using your products, and I had not made the connection that Honest was exactly what you have been a part of. So we are... First-hand testimonial here. That's awesome. Fans of your I love that. Um, I wanted a brand that really um, could be a, a brand that stands the test of time um, and goes beyond just a celebrity or um, my time in being, you know, in pop culture. And that's why I called it the Honest Company. I just love the values and the virtues that are associated with um, honesty. And it was inspired by my daughter, Honor. Oh, nice. And so um, that's super cool that you didn't even know that that's my company. I love that. It was great. (laughs) What part, like what aspect of your life did you start thinking about this? Like this is amazing to think star Hollywood actress and now a gigantic successful company as well. Well, I, uh, I, I really was inspired when I was a mom, a soon to be mom uh, nine years ago and I had an allergic reaction to a laundry detergent that my mother recommended that I used. And after I had this uh, allergic reaction, I did lots of research online. And I found out that there are lots of untested, potentially harmful chemicals in everyday products from a laundry detergent, even to um, fabrics and things that are off-gassing in your home, mattresses, uh, cleaning products, personal care products, beauty products. And I was like, wow, what do I shop for and, and what brands can I trust are safe um, and are safe for human health? And there really wasn't one brand that can meet all of my needs mm-hmm. and also broke down, you know, what was actually good for me and what was bad. And so um, there are a lot of companies out there that were great for the environment mm-hmm. um, and use more recycled materials and things like that. But putting human health first was was my uh, was the big deal for me. I was just talking with a cousin of mine. It feels like that's the trend now for everybody. Everything's more organic, more healthy. Do everything you can. So there's that real push and credit to you guys for being a part of that. I want to hear about these diapers because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's baseball diapers. So I don't know, like as a Blue Jays fan, should I have Red Sox diapers so that my son can poop in those? Or do I have, <laughs> I'm supporting my, like my wife's a Giants fan, so we should get Dodgers diapers then, right? Right. Um, or you can have the Giants diapers with the Giants jersey, and they look really cute. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we chose uh, to collaborate with the MLB. We, among other um, products that we make, mm-hmm. we do make diapers and wipes. Okay. And, uh, and in that, we have very fashionable diapers and they're seasonal and um one of uh just this is sort of uh, an experiment mm-hmm. um we're s- testing the waters to see if people even want to s- to have a collaboration with us mm-hmm. and something as as amazing as i mean for me i'm like uh you know a kid in a candy store because i love baseball yeah and um and i grew up with baseball so it was just exciting that i got to collaborate with mlb and i'm hoping that people love it as much as as i do and we get to continue to do this partnership so we launched with six uh teams mm-hmm. 
Um, but hopefully if this goes well, we'll be able to do oh, more. Yeah. I think it'd be great. Our, uh, our youngest son's name is Shaz De Niro because we're both gigantic Robert De Niro fans. Awesome. Um, and so you worked with him in Little Fockers. <laughs> I did. So what can you tell me about Bob? We've had him on the podcast. He came here to promote Hands of Stone and he was phenomenal. Like he's a he, lot more laid back than people think, but you tell me. He's super mellow, yeah. super friendly. Um, he invited me and my family to family dinner a few times. I mean, he really is like a genuine, sweet person. Right. Um, and uh, I was obviously so intimidated, you know, doing any scenes with Robert De Niro. I mean, that was like, I was like, it was like Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro right. um, in the same day. And I was like <laughs> pinching myself. I couldn't believe my luck. And uh, they just both made me feel so comfortable about Robert De Niro, Bob. He, right. he made me feel very, very comfortable. How about uh, Ben Stiller? My wife and we, Kevin Nagani's one of our anchors here. He thinks I look a little like Ben Stiller. I've never <laughs> seen that, but you've seen Ben up close. Is, yeah. there, is there a... A similarity? I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe with a tan. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't see it. Yeah, no. Right. We have clarification. <laughs> Jessica Alba does not think I look like Ben Stiller. No. <laughs> um, I think my favorite of all your movies is Sin City. I think it holds up. Oh, cool. It's wonderful style to it. I love Robert Rodriguez and what he did with that. What was your experience like working on that movie? It was just so noirish and just so different. I loved it. That was definitely like one of my favorite, if not my favorite, experiences uh, in entertainment, You know, especially doing the two. And they were so different and mm -hmm. they were 10 years apart and – it was just so fun to be part of that world and with all those incredible actors. Another movie that um, I had to revisit when I heard you were coming is The Killer Inside Me. Oh, yeah. Casey Affleck just won an Oscar. And I remember yeah. hearing about that and the buzz was like, this is very dark and it's very intense. Very dark, yeah. It's, 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 it's a graphic novel, so it's not right. supposed to be right. real. It's a dramatization of a psychotic person. Mm -hmm. um, and so – how did you find working on it? Because I'm sure – not traumatic, but it's a very intense film. It was kind of traumatic. Yeah. It was pretty brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when actors do these sort of darker roles, I mean, it, it does affect you, in, especially when you immerse yourself in it. No question. Yeah. Uh, on a lighter side, I'm from Toronto originally, so when you did The Love Guru – Mike oh, Myers, <laughs> local guy, so he was there, and we joked with Mike. We oh, said, you know, man. this is the only way you could get your beloved Maple Leafs to win the Stanley Cup is to make a movie about it. And you played the owner, and Justin Timberlake is really funny. He's a goalie in there. And I bugged Mike because I said, you know, I'm a local Toronto sportscaster mm -hmm. at the time. I said, I auditioned for the role. <laughs> and I, I said, I've seen the movie. Quite frankly, I'm better than the other guy. <laughs> and he started laughing. But um, it must have been a fun experience working with Mike. He seems like a barrel of laughs. Um, he's actually pretty serious. Oh, okay. Yeah. It goes the other way, right? With comedians. Yeah, yeah. Some, some comedians are hilarious and they're always funny and always got the jokes and, right. um, and others are, are definitely more serious. Right. And what, um, what was it like working with Justin Timberlake? I didn't work with him. Was I wasn't, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, separate days. Did you like doing like silly comedies like that? Cause you've had. I love doing comedy. Good luck. Chuck. It is my favorite. Right. Um, I mean, the dark stuff is is in it. You know, it's a whole other thing. But mm -hmm. if I could only do comedies, I mean, Lucille Ball is what inspired me to even want to be an actress. Oh, and so cool. I always loved comedies and making people laugh. Yeah, and I think that's interesting because even as a young person, to be inspired by Lucille Ball, I always worry because my references sometimes are older, and people will laugh at me and they go, "How old are you?" Because I love. Pacino and De Niro, but I love Robert Mitchum and I love Brando. And it's yeah. like, if you're really into movies and acting, that you can see the connection to those great stars from the past. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, a great performance is a great performance. It doesn't matter 
when it was made. On a serious note, I read as a child that you battled uh, asthma, severe asthma as a child, mm-hmm. uh, OCD as well. When you look Not back, really that information can yeah. be a little bit. If you found it on Wikipedia, don't believe it. Yeah, that's why I never researched that. <laughs> but how did you find dealing with those challenges, especially now as a mom and as a successful businesswoman and as an actress? Did you? How did you find those challenges? Um, you know, I was quite sick as a kid, mm-hmm. and uh, and I did have a lot of different, you know, surgeries and 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 things like that, and that really was, you know what inspired me to create this company because I wanted to be healthy and I valued my health uh, so much and I wanted to make sure that my kids were healthy as well. I mean, there's there's nothing like being able to – having your health and, and you take it for granted when it's – when you don't get to have that. Um, and I just – you know, my, my mission is just to make sure that everyone has access to healthy products and education to make better choices. Last one, as, as somebody who has a diverse background, and I have a diverse background, what I see in media, whether it's sportscasting or whether in acting or in business, I like seeing that push down. It feels like communities are becoming more inclusive. You know, we just saw that at the Oscars, a film like Moonlight winning Best Picture and films that they've been presented. Well, they made up for the, the year before. <laughs> <laughs> the last couple of years, there's that an effort yeah. What do you think about that, that trend towards diversity in Hollywood? I, I mean, to me, it shouldn't be a trend or a thing. It should just be. Yeah. We should just have more equality, uh, more women that are filmmakers, more women that have a seat at the table in the writer's room. We should have more people of color right. who have uh, you know, stories that are told about them uh, and all different types of backgrounds um, should be represented. It shouldn't be an issue, but unfortunately sometimes Yeah, it, it still is. But uh, I do believe that this generation, certainly millennials, they don't have the same prejudices as every other generation, and they're going to break through. Jessica Alba, Honest Company. Make sure you check out Endorseless Products. We're so grateful to have you here. So we have T-shirts. We have a limited budget, so we don't have <laughs> women's sizes. But for cash, I got a, a large black That's T-shirt. Very sweet. And for dad is here. I think he's still a large. Dad's looking pretty good. Yeah, dad's So you get a, a, a set of five t-shirts. He might be. He might be an XL, but <laughs> he'll fit. He'll fit in there. We have a large and an XL, just in case. So Jessica, thank you so much oh, for coming by. We really for, appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. So that was Jessica Alba. Lovely, talented. Uh, hand her the shirts. Oh, I can I get a picture? Sure. My wife wanted pictures. So I got a picture of my wife first, then with me, uh, and then Dad. I said, "Well, here's the shirts." And he goes, well, it's okay, and meaning, meaning he wasn't sure about the extra large or the large. And Eamon, my wife, says, no, no, take him. And he's like, well, no, I don't. And, and he was about to, and Jessica said, no, come on, Dad, don't, <laughs> just take one. <laughs> but I was like, no, trust me. You can ask my producer, Dan Stanzik. We have a surplus of shirts. It's not like we're giving them away, but you're Jessica Alvin, Jessica Alba's dad. If you want a large and an extra large, and you're going to wear them, yes, Cinefile You think he's going to wear them? You really think he's going to wear them? Well, then, yeah. I'm taking the under on that. But does, Jessica, it, does it make it back to L.A. with him? I'm also <laughs> saying no. We'll have to follow up. We'll have to talk to her people. But um, listen, she's here to promote a company, which I thought she did a good job of, and it's genuine. We touched on some movies as well. Uh, Love Guru, I don't know if she has a strong opinion of because when I said it, she's kind of like, yeah, Love Guru. I'm like, Ugh. Well, like I would Miles. argue that most people would have an opinion of that of all of her movies, right? I mean, she's very nice and very pleasant, but mo- right. no, I don't know too many people that hear Jessica Alba and think, Critically oh, my God, films. great actress. They hear Jessica Alba and they think, sex symbol. Like, she was arguably the most attractive woman on the planet yeah. for a good four-year run. In my formative years in high school, it was it was Jessica Alba or Jessica Biel. 
So this is like a dream come true. You're about to work with the kid on the next show you're doing very soon yeah. who wore a suit and tie to work today just because Jessica Elba is here at ESPN. I mean, this is like, you know, the, the woman, the girl you look up to when you're growing up. Like, this is poster on the wall kind of stuff we're talking here. It should be noted Ernie Johnson is also here today, and I cannot Love wait Ernie. to be Ernie Johnson. But you're right. Ernie Ernie is unfortunately getting bypassed because Jessica Elba. People are wearing three-piece suits. Admittedly, I had eggs this morning. I was like, if I have bad breath when I meet Jessica Alba, this is going to be a terrible story. So even I was a, a little self-conscious. Where the, I, where'd your hand go arm around for the picture, by the way? Well, I well, was another issue. I, I just went on the arm because, it, as you had predicted, she's taller than me, but not not by I, much. No, not by much, it should be noted. 5'7", uh, which was she's listed at, and I am listed at. So that was actually unfortunate. Cause if Where she, are you listed? I think if you go to my, <laughs> if you go to my trading cards. <laughs> Throws right, bats left, listed as 5-7. Uh, we're going to do a few movie reviews before we get into uh, <laughs> Walter Hill. Where am I listed as? It's funny. I'm also going to be interviewing Jessica Alba momentarily here on Rosillo and Canal. So this is going to be great. I'm going to do one interview here on Cinefile, which you're all listening to, and then another interview in which I'm going to ask for the same questions. But as Danny Canal said to me, well, don't, don't waste all your good stuff here, but I think we got whatever good stuff we were looking for. So thanks to Jessica for coming by. I'll do some quick reviews here. Boss Baby is in theaters. I want to see it for one reason, one reason alone. That's Alec Baldwin. Well, two reasons. My kids needed to get out of the house, so that's why we went to the movies. But obviously, Alec Baldwin's the only draw for me. He's great. His voice is amazing. I think he's one of the great voice actors of all time, and he should do animation. I just wish it had been a better project. It starts out well enough. Uh, the theme, if anybody has a young child, they'll will appreciate this. The, the, the whole joke is that the boss is the baby, which is true. The baby's dictating all the terms. So there's a baby corp. There's a corporation heaven where all these babies come from, and out comes Alec Baldwin, and he's actually like, you know, corporate CEO. So he deceives his parents uh, as being a baby with the goo goo gaga, but then his brother, who's very jealous of him, sees that he's onto something, hears him talking on his cell phone one day, and yes, this is a baby who's a CEO who wants a, a sushi roll, and it goes from there. So it's a good start. I like the premise. And the ending I thought was nice and sweet. But the middle is a terrific time to take a nap. And as I tweeted in my review, and by the way, all my reviews you can follow on Twitter, A-D-N-A-N-E-S-P-N, or you can follow us on Cinephile, C-I-N-E-P-H-I-L-E. As I tweeted, genial in this case means generic. Two Maple Leafs. It's a nice little movie, but um, I wish there was a, a better project there for Baldwin. Although there is a Glengarry line, of course. Me and all the adults enjoyed it. You know, put that cookie down. Cookies for closers only. Also saw Why Him. This is a, you know, clearly there's a reason I didn't run in to see it in December. But Dan and I both love Brian Cranston. I'm sure Danny likes James Frank a lot. I like him a lot, too. He's funny. And they are the only reasons to watch this movie. But I've got to be honest. I think I gave it two Maple Leafs, which is probably a little generous. It's more like a one and a half. Well, you gave it, too, because Keegan-Michael Key was here yes. promoting the movie. He was on the podcast. He was great. So you, is, there's always a little bump for you. There's no doubt about that. And um, if I was a real critic, maybe it would be different. But since I'm not, it's okay. I, we can play by our own rules because Dan's right. And Keegan-Michael Key is really funny in it. He plays this, like, uh, he's Frank. I want to say Franco's uh, assistant, I should say. But he's got, like, this funny accent, and he's all over the place, and he's it's kind of like um, in Father of the Bride. Martin Short has that funny accent, and then he kind of tries to steal the movie. Keegan-Michael Key is actually really funny in Why Him, and is one of the reasons to watch it. The whole cast is good. If you'll remember on the podcast, Keegan-Michael Key was hyping up Megan Mullally, and she's got a couple of great scenes in there. She's really funny. 
Um, he was hyping up that Zoe Deutsch Zoe as Deutsch, well. Yeah, and she's good, too. She's good, too. I don't know if I agree with the hype as much as he was saying, but Megan Mullally has a couple of pretty good scenes. Franco does his best. Uh, for those that don't know what it is, he's a Silicon Valley developer. He's dating the daughter of Brian Cranston, who is Zoe Deutsch. And, uh, you know, hilarity ensues. You can already see where this is going. He's got all the tattoos. When he first meets them, he drops mother effer left and right. He's heavily tatted. He's this rich Silicon Valley developer who has this gorgeous mansion. And, of course, Cranston wants to have nothing to do with him. So on first, safe uh, surface value, it's just going to be a retread of Meet the Parents, which in many ways it is. The only reason to watch those, Franco really does attack the role with gusto. Like he does have that cheeky grin and he's just like just kind of this – sleazy guy in the, the eyes of Cranston, but obviously to everybody else, he's a very charming, sweet guy who's obviously a little bit different. Cranston, unfortunately, is the disappointment because I'm watching it going, why did he say yes to this? Like, it really feels like it was just like a cash grab. I got to be honest. And and he's playing the straight man. So it's always kind of like uptight and squeamish and a little bit annoyed and upper mannered. And it's like, no, nah, like Walter White is like so aggressive. And like even Trumbo, which he was nominated for an Oscar, you know, he's smart. He's conniving. Lyndon Johnson, he's so clever and crafty. This role, he's just uptight. Like, it's just there's there's nothing likable about him. It's Franco's all charisma and oozing charm and slime and sweat and sleaze. And Cranston's just playing this, you know, very generic middle American guy who runs a printing press, which is now being hurt by the Internet. And there's one scene which typifies everything about it. Remember Jeff Daniels on the toilet in Dumb and Dumber? Well, there's a scene here where Cranston's on the toilet and can't get it to work. And Keegan-Michael Key's trying to help him out. And you're watching it going, this is like four-time Emmy Award winner Brian Cranston, one of the great actors of our generation. And he's stuck in this movie in which he can't get the toilet to flush because it's one of these Japanese toilets which is specially uh, designed. And I'm just thinking, like, what was going through his mind that day? Like, this is what it's come down to. I'm getting $10 million and I'm trying to take a dump, and we can't get the toilet to work. And Oh, wait, another take? Okay, great. Are we doing three days of this? Okay, great. I'll just stay naked on this toilet. Why him a disappointment? One more, Patriots Day. We had J.K. Simmons on the podcast, uh, who was actually promoting the accountant. We had Wahlberg. Yeah, there. Wahlberg as well, yeah, to Patriots Day. So I was a little bit hesitant because I said, um, the story happened so recently, like what's new about it? But it, it's actually a very faithful rendering. Peter Berg, I thought, directed it with a lot of crispness and um, alacrity. Uh, what he does, which is particularly noteworthy, is that there's scenes of uh, Joker Sarnayev, the guy who committed this you know, horrific act, the Boston Marathon tragedy, and they'll show scenes of him as an actor and then the surveillance video. And he does a lot of that. The The actual incident is mixed with the fiction of Hollywood. So it adds to the verisimilitude because you're not sure, uh, is this a documentary or is this the real film? And even though you're aware, obviously, it's Mark Wahlberg playing a cop and J.K. Simmons, et cetera, because the fact he's cutting it in with the real-life footage, it does give it that heightened sense of authenticity. And, in fact, the best part of the movie is the last 15 minutes because then he has a couple of the survivors from the Marathon Day bombings talking about their experiences, you know, much like um, – a film like Up in the Air, which Dan and I like a lot. In the midst of that, you see the people who actually do lose their jobs, and they talk about how traumatic it is. So it was a smart decision by Peter Berg to actually have those survivors of the Boston Marathon tragedy to discuss their experiences. Having said that, it's solid, if unexceptional. Uh, predictable, perhaps, is a harsh word, because some might say, well, what do you mean predictable? But I'm like, my point is that there's no real chances taken. You're, you're completely assured of what you're getting by watching Patriot's Day, which is a skillful, efficient thriller, which doesn't really surprise, isn't particularly provocative. If you've lived the incident, that you know how powerful it was. I don't think you'd need this movie as a reminder, but it's a fitting tribute to the courage and the testimony of the people that Mark Wahlberg and Peter Berg really do love, which is all those who are in service. You look at their filmography and stuff they've done in the past, Lone Survivor and Deepwater Horizon. Like They clearly care about those um, who are serving and protecting, so kudos to them for for following their passion. Just wait on your Maple Leafs. I don't even know if you gave him for Why Him. Why Him will give it two Maple Leafs because, you know what, Franco's trying hard. Kiko Michael Key was good. 
Uh, but the movie's a real retread. And this one will give it two and a half Maple Leafs. I did have somebody say they'd give it three. But my logic is two is fair. Two and a half is good. Three is very good. Three and a half is excellent. Four is sensational. So by that logic, Patriot's Day is a good movie, Two and a Half Maple Leafs. I also reviewed the assignment last time on the podcast. Walter Hill, the legendary director, joining us right now on Cinephile. He talks about a lot of different things. Eddie Murphy we worked with on 48 Hours, Richard Pryor on Brewster's Millions, and his new film with a lot of full frontal nudity. Joining us now is legendary director Walter Hill, the director of the, of the assignment. What is appealing about the film is not only your sensibility, but also having a cast that bought in and having Michelle Rodriguez, who can convincingly go from hitman to hit woman, and having Tony Shalhoub, and as I mentioned, Sigourney Weaver. What was it like working with those actors? Well, it was a delight. Uh, they're all very accomplished uh, in their way. Uh, the story is pits a... Physician, surgeon, intellectual, bully, narcissist uh, against with a very legitimate set of beefs, uh, including the murder of her own brother, uh, against this completely amoral uh, survivor of the underworld. Uh, The fact that they both have legitimate revenge stories to enact upon each other and I thought we'd get a good cast with it. So we got uh, Michelle. The, the question about that part was really, did I want to cast a man or a woman? It's not often you <laughs> you have that dilemma. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I thought it was a greater artistic challenge to ever played the part to have a woman. Because Frank Kitchen is a man. We've seen it. He's a man. He's a, a man inside his head. He stays a man for the entire length of the movie. So I thought to be played by a woman after he goes through a genital alteration uh, would be a you know very reasonable artistic challenge. And there's full frontal nudity, and right, Michelle, Walter? Let's, and Michelle let's, was up to it. Right, and there's full frontal nudity on both ends, so we can make that clear to the audience too, right? Yeah, well, it's, it's uh, among other things, an essay about the human body. So we... In the essay, we demonstrate Frank as the fully formed fellow, and then we see Frank in his uh, new model uh, exterior. You know, I I mean, like, Michelle did a wonderful job of acting, but I'm sure you'll agree with me on this. It's a very brave performance. She never never flinched from uh, some of these scenes are hard to play and called for uh, a lack of modesty, shall we say. <laughs> she uh, she went right, you know, she did it without complaint, and she did it um, with uh, great skill. Well, you've got to have actors that are definitely dedicated. The assignment currently on demand. It's also in theaters April 7th. We're talking to Walter Hill right now on Cinephile. Let's go back a bit, Walter. 48 Hours, arguably your greatest movie. It still holds up. It's a, it's, It was such... A, a quintessential film of the 80s, and it really kind of set the template for so many buddy cop movies and fish out of water tales. And I'm sure there's so many memories you have of 48 Hours, but specifically to Eddie Murphy, what is it about him that you knew you had something special, either on set or once you were cutting the film? At what point did you know, hey, this guy's going to be a star? Uh, we shot the very ending of the movie, the very last thing, very rare in movies that. You get that opportunity. But just before we shot 
the uh, climax of the movie in uh, the Chinatown section. We shot the sequence what we call the Redneck Bar. Yes. Where Eddie does a bravura takeover of the bar. And uh, he was utterly sensational in that moment. And this this was very deep into our schedule. And uh, I remember uh, the screenwriter happened to be, uh, Larry Gross happened to be on the set with me that day. And I remember after we did a couple of takes, after Eddie had done it a couple of times, <laughs> I, turned to, uh, I turned to Larry and I said, we're rich. And um, what I should have said was Eddie's rich or Paramount's rich, but uh, you just knew uh, at that point, from that point forward, I didn't think there was going to be any doubt. Eddie was certainly not the first great star to come out of Saturday Night Live, but 48 Hours was was different uh, for Eddie breaking out than, than the other comedy people had been because it was such a different usually they they were accomplished in their comedy and then they did movie comedies and uh, but Eddie stepped into an action film and it kind of gave his career a whole different angle of pursuit you knew he could always do the straight comedy films but uh, the fact that he had proven himself in an action movie widened the horizon it made possible, obviously, Beverly Hills Cop and things like that. And I think it's so cool, Walter, not only your success with 48 Hours, but you also worked with another great classic black comedian in Richard Pryor and Brewster's Millions. I mean, how many directors can say, I've worked with Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor in two big hits like that? I'm not sure anybody. I don't know. Uh, Richard uh, was he was a pretty moody fellow. He was... Uh, he had recently been diagnosed uh, with the disease that finally took him from us. Uh, I loved the guy. I mean, I, I thought he and I got along very well. But, you know, he was he was often in a depressed state. He was one of those that uh, he'd turn it on, and then as soon as the take was over, it was over. And... Uh, uh, it was not the happiest time in his life. It was after what euphemistically was usually referred to as his accident. And um, we I can't tell you, I, I wouldn't be telling the truth if I didn't say we had a couple of moments that maybe weren't too pleasant. But, uh, but we ended up on very good terms. And uh, I had such great respect for him. I mean, it's an overused phrase, but I, I just thought he was a national treasure. And um, it was my privilege to direct him. Yeah, absolutely. I, I echo those sentiments, and I appreciate the candor. Uh, you once said, Walter, that every movie you've made is like a Western. Wild Bill, Last Man Standing, which was a remake of Kurosawa's Yojimbo. Um, there's so many other films as well. Geronimo, American Legend, Broken Trail with Robert Duvall. What is it about Westerns uh, that appeals to your sensibility? The kind of stories that you tend to be telling are kind of simple moral tales where people have to solve their own problems without the redress of, uh, oh, I don't know what, government and uh, armies, and etc. The uh, uh, 
they tend to be, you know, very personal within the character stories. Uh, I always say that one of the aspects of when you make a Western is the, the stories are, nothing is always true, but uh, the stories are generally like from the Old Testament. And uh, they can be complicated, but they tend to have simple narrative problems that the people react to. And I just, uh, I find that consistent with my work, and uh, I enjoy that environment. Well, it's definitely a career to be proud of. The assignment is in theaters as of April 7th. It's currently on demand. Walter Hill, the director. Thank you so much, Walter, for not only speaking about your current work, but allowing us to indulge in some of the greats of the past. I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm uh, I'm flattered that... uh, that somebody wants to think back about something that I did 30, 40 years ago. That makes it fun. I'll trust Thank you. you. Thank you, sir. Actor Showcase. All right, so Warren Beatty turned 80 recently, uh, last week, in fact, and we unfortunately, Dan and I were busy with some other stuff, so we had forgotten to do it last week, so we're going to just go ahead and cram it in here now. But Warren Beatty, his best films, he does not have an extensive filmography. He's a guy who is very choosy when it comes to his films, which I do respect, because it's kind of like with Tarantino and directing. You know, Quentin says he only wants to make 10 movies. With Beatty, he's been very choosy about his movies. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Rules Don't Apply was a real... Dreadful film by all accounts. So he waited a long time to make his latest movie last year, which was bad. And, of course, the Oscars controversy, which is what everyone's going to think about. Scott Van Pelt, who is very funny, tweeted me as far as his best movies and the winner is. And I said, okay, funny. And he goes, no, I'm just being smarky. It wasn't his fault. But Ishtar was. Scotty is right about that. That would actually be his fault. Number one is Bugsy. Phenomenal film. Great gangster movie. Also a wonderful drama and romance. The relationship with him and Annette Bening. I love Ben Kingsley as Meyer Lansky. I love Harvey Keitel, who was great in the movie, and Joe Montana as well. Wonderful cast and terrific directing by Barry Levinson. He won an Oscar for Rain Man, but I think Bugsy, the way it's shot, the look of it, it's beautiful at melding like old-school melodrama and that really chilling gangster movie. A couple of scenes there of executions are really well done, so I love Bugsy. Uh, number two is Reds. Beatty, a very accomplished film. Didn't win Best Picture because of Chariots of Fire, but it won everything else. It won Best Director and Screenplay, and and he's marvelous in it. And what an idea. It's in, in, in Hollywood at that time. Reagan was the president, and he made a film about a communist leader. Like, I don't think people realize. He just got all Hollywood leftists. But no, no, he's praising communism at a time when the U.S. and Russia are going head-to-head in the early 80s. Like, this was stunning that he got this film made in Hollywood. There was a lot of controversy around it, but he wanted to show his fervor for left-wing politics and did so in the story of this this revolutionary, John Reed, who journeys to Russia, documents the Bolshevik revolution, uh, revolution and returns himself as a revolutionary. Diane Keaton as well. Uh, Jack Nicholson's terrific in the movie. Nice soundtrack. Reds is a terrific movie. Uh, Dick Tracy's number three. Spectacular production design. Al Pacino nominated for Best Supporting Actor as Big Boy Caprice. You've got Madonna in there as well. I love dark comic book movies, obviously. I love The Dark Knight. I love Batman Returns. I love Tim Burton's vision. But I will admit, a comic book movie, sometimes they've got a little too dark, Batman versus Superman. And sometimes they're too uh, nihilistic. What's nice about Dick Tracy is it's bright. It's colorful. It's meant to be a guy wearing a big yellow raincoat. Like a guy talks in his watch. Like it's kind of kitschy. But I like that when you go back now, that's what a comic book movie should be for a lot of kids. And it still plays well. Dustin Hoffman's in the movie as mumbles. Like clearly Warren Beatty leaning all his buddies uh, to get the film to uh, to be made the way it was. Number four is Bonnie and Clyde. Very influential film. Check it out back in the late 60s. Uh, played a couple of bank robbers on the run. Really kind of solidified Beatty as a true star. He 
and Faye Dunaway. Uh, really great in that movie as their crimes escalate. Really influenced by the French New Wave and Jean-Luc Godard. And number five is Shampoo. Again, a very topical film from the 1970s about the sexual revolution at that time. Beatty in some ways sending up his own image as this playboy. Um, I thought he was very good in that movie. It's a funny movie. He and Robert Town co-wrote the script. Robert Town famously wrote the script for Chinatown, one of the great scripts of all time. So Shampoo is in there as well. Those are the top five Warren Beatty movies in my estimation. All right, so thank you so much for listening. Even as my producer, Dan Stanzik, said, wait, are we going weekly? No, we just had Jessica Alba in the building, so we had to, to trot out the cinephile here for you. So my thanks to Jessica Alba and Walter Hill. Next time we come back, we'll do three words, including John C. Riley. Love that admission. Uh, admission. Also, um, I'm going to talk about Hugo, which is one of my favorite uh, Scorsese movies. So I want to talk that. I want to talk that in Scorsese stories. And new movies coming up. People are asking what to see. Honestly, there's not a whole lot to see. But hopefully Train Spotting 2 will come to a theater in Connecticut so I can go see that at that point because right now there's, there's not a whole lot of stuff going on here. I'm Adnan Burke. Thanks for listening. Tweet us at Cinephile, at Adnan ESPN, and I'll see you at the movies. Don't miss out on the next episode of Cinephile. Subscribe to the Adnan Burke Movie Podcast by clicking the Listen tab in the ESPN app. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.